Let's turn in our Bibles to John chapter 13 this morning. John chapter 13, and we'll begin reading in verse 1 when you get there. John chapter 13, verse 1. It's great to be in God's house today, and uh, good to see our guest, and um, and some of those who have been with us for a while. We see you back, glad you're feeling better, and um, great to be uh, here to be able to worship with you this morning. We're in John chapter 13. And we'll begin reading in verse 1. It says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that His hour was come, that He should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved His own which were in the world, He loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray Him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into His hands, and that He was come from God and went to God, He rises from the supper, and laid aside his garments, and took a towel, and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin, and began to wash the disciples' feet, and wiped them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do knowest not now, thou knowest not now, or what I'm doing now you, you don't understand, but you shall know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet, Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, you have no part with me. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus saith unto him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. And you are clean, but not all. It says in verse 11, For he knew who should betray him, therefore he said, You are not all clean. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for the text that we have this morning. We're thankful for your word, for the truths that we're going to find as we look through this text today. God, I ask for your power to preach. Lord, I pray that you would use your word, that your spirit would convict and lead. And Lord, we pray that you'd help us to consider what was about to happen in Jesus' life, in the lives of these disciples, and what Jesus was saying to them, and how that applies to us today. God, we're so thankful for everything that you've done, and that we're thankful for Jesus. And God, we're so thankful for the example he set for us. I pray that you'd help us to pattern our lives after his. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to talk to you about the attitude of servitude today. And one of the things that I think stands out the most about Jesus and his life was his humility. And by that, I just mean the fact that he was, he was so humble. Um, you know, he had such a, uh, he was so poor in spirit, such a humble person. And the truth is, if anyone had the right to show up and show out, it was Jesus. I mean, he, he was like the only person who could say something and then back it up every single time. If he said he was going to do something, you could take that to the bank, he was going to do it. And, uh, and he just had the ability uh, to do that. Um, he had power. You think about Jesus and, uh, you know, I mean, he, he, was, he was the most powerful man who has ever lived. Now, I don't know how strong he was. You know, if there was a weightlifting contest with Jesus in it uh, and he was just using his physical strength, I, I'm not saying he was necessarily always, uh, always the most powerful in that sense. But I'll tell you what, when he could say a word and everybody went falling back on the ground on their backs... That's power there. Amen. When he can look at the storms and say, calm, you know, be still. And the storm stops and the, and the waves calm down. That is power. Jesus had power. He had authority. But the thing that we also found about, find about Jesus is even with all that power, 
even with all the authority that he had, he also had humility. You know, Jesus constantly taught his believers that through him, they had power and authority as well. They had power to pray, they had power to stand, uh, and they had power to move mountains. He said, if even with the faith uh, the size of a mustard seed, that you could say to this mountain, remove or be removed, and it would. His believers have the authority to judge, the authority to lead and do God's business here on earth. Yet he also taught that his followers, uh, even though they had all these things and and had power and had authority here on earth uh, in his name, that it was always to be done in true love and in true humility. What I'm saying is, is that Jesus was a humble man. He was humble. And he taught his believers that if they were going to follow him, they also had to be humble as well. What that tells me is that when you see so-called Christians barking orders, casting criticism, spewing hate, that we didn't know this, that they didn't learn that from Christ. They never saw that in him. In our text today, Jesus goes one step further to show the kind of humble spirit that Christians are to have towards God and others. And so I just want to jump right into our verses and look at that. Uh, The first thing I want us to see is his example of humility found in verses 1 through 5. Now, as we look at the things that are going on and and consider where we are as far as time is concerned, uh, we're nearing the Feast of Passover, which means that the events we're reading about today, what we're reading about right now, took place literally hours before he was arrested and tried. And that's something you need to keep in mind because when we come in next week and, uh, and, and the chapters leading up, uh, every, every, you know, everything that we're looking at just happened hours before his arrest and his trial. And so uh, we, we are looking at his final hours here on earth, the final things that he wanted to share with his believers before he went. And so always keep that in mind as we're reading uh, those verses that are coming up. Now, when all the Gospels are put together, it appears that Jesus may have observed the Passover supper with his disciples just a little bit early because he knew what was coming. And if you look at verses 1 and 2 of chapter 13 with me, once again, it says, Now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, uh, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. It says, And the supper being ended... And and also look at this, the devil having now put in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. So we're nearing the the time of the Feast of Passover. And again, if you kind of harmonize the Gospels, look at all of them as a whole, it looks as though Jesus may have gone ahead and had his Passover meal with disciples just a little bit early so that he could have that final supper with them uh, before he went on and was, uh, was tried, accused, and and of course, uh, crucified. And so he, he has sat down to this supper. They've had the Passover meal. And, um, and, and so he just takes a break here for a second. He stops and does the unthinkable. Uh, as we continue reading, John tells us that af- after the supper, Jesus stood from his place. And I want you to notice this. He stood from his place. He laid aside his garments. And he girded himself like a servant. If you look at verses 3 and 4, it says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he was come from from God and went to God. Look at verse 4. It says, He rises from the supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel 
wherewith he was girded. Amen. In an act of complete humiliation to both Jesus and his disciples, what we find in these verses is that he began to wash his disciples' feet. Now, I want to stop there just for a second because we, we need to get in our minds exactly what Jesus was doing here. Now, I would say that here in the United States, we've lost a lot of the cultural boundaries that are still found in, in many other nations even today. Uh, we live in a, a society of equality, and so it's nothing, you know, it's no big deal for any of us to walk into a restaurant at any time, and uh, you may have someone that is um, uh, lower class, you may have middle class, and, and have a millionaire all sitting in the same restaurant, just a table away from one another, and, uh, and enjoying the same types of foods. Uh, in those days, that never would have happened. You never would have seen someone who was uh, of the bottom on the bottom scale eating in the same restaurant or, or sharing a meal in the same place as someone uh, who was up in, in the upper society. Uh, and so this was just a, it was, it's a very uncommon, even in the United States, what we see happening in our society is very common in other places as well because we've kind of broke down, broken down some of those social barriers and uh, we're able to, uh, to mingle and things like that with one another. Back in Jesus' day, that did not happen. As a matter of fact, I'll even say, I think I can safely say this, that 200 years ago in the United States, you never would have seen that type of thing going on. Right. As a matter of fact, um, servants would never have sat to eat with, at the table of their master. From what I understand, uh, when there was a big social gathering or whatever it was, uh, you know, in your common everyday meals, I think, uh, like, they would sit, sit together as a table. Uh, maybe they had guests or somebody come in, and, you know, they were sitting together at a table, and all the servants would kind of stand over to the side and watch the rest of them eat. And, uh, you know, they, they, didn't, they weren't asked to pull up a chair and sit down beside them and join together. And so to, uh, to imagine Jesus, who would have been an honored guest, who would have been someone of, of high respect, especially to these disciples, and, uh, and, and see them uh, or see him get up and, and change his clothes, put on the, the clothes of a servant and begin to wash their feet. Listen, that was, that was unheard of. That was something they never would have imagined uh, that happening. That, that's something that uh, to them, it was just, uh, they didn't even know what to do. They didn't know how to react to this. You have to understand that in Jesus' day, this was a servant's job. To wash the feet of another person was one of, one of the most degrading things that you could do. You see, to them, Jesus was the rabbi. He was their master, and even more, he was their God, not their servant. Right. I want you to imagine having dinner with a great preacher or teacher, someone of great respect, someone that you really admire. You're all sitting around at the table and then suddenly they stand up, they walk over to your place, kneel down on the floor and begin taking off your shoes to wash your feet. Now, what would your reaction to that be? You're going to say, no, what are you doing? No, 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 you get up. I should be washing your feet. Now, I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about somebody you really respect and admire, you know. And you're going to say, no, don't do that. Y'all say, yeah, keep on washing. Uh, if you just scrub a little bit more on this foot, it'll be all right. But somebody you really respect and admire, you know, you say, no, there's no way. 
you're taking my, no way you're doing this. I should be doing that for you. And here Jesus was, he had stooped down at their feet. He was washing the grime and the dirt off of their feet like a servant. Now, I think that some of the disciples didn't, they didn't really know what to say. They didn't really know what to do, but leave it to Peter to, of course, open his mouth and say something. And when Jesus finally got around to him, he did have something to say. We'll see that is as we get a little bit further. But I want you to know there was something at work here um, that we need to, to get. I believe that Jesus was demonstrating at least two things. First of all, he was demonstrating a lesson on humility that he's going to talk a little bit more about later. But I think also what we see here is a foreshadowing of the cross. I want you to turn with me just for a moment to Philippians chapter 2. Hold your place there in John. But I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 2 and let's see if we, we see something similar in these verses to what we find Jesus doing here. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5 when you get there. Philippians 2 verse 5 says, Let this mind be in you which also, or which was also in Christ Jesus. Now look at this. Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and look at this, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. It says, that being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Now, what these verses say, once you study these out and really start looking at some of the words and what they mean and everything, is basically this is what Jesus did. Jesus, who was high and lifted up, who was seated on a throne in heaven. Get this, you've got to picture who he was. The creator of everything. The one who spoke all things into existence. We've already seen this from John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word is Jesus said the Word was with God, the Word was God. And, and then it goes on to say that everything that was made was created by Him. Amen. Jesus was King of kings, Lord of lords. But what it says in Philippians chapter 2 is that there came a time when He stood up from His throne. He took off His royal garments and laid them aside. What it says is that He took upon Him the form of a servant. He came to earth in the likeness of people like you and me. And what He do? it says, being found in fashion as a man, He humbled Himself. And He did the greatest service that could ever be done for anyone. He gave His life on the cross for you and me. Now I want you to remember what He did at this feast. And I think this was a picture of what was about to happen. It says that he stood up from his place. He was the one who had been conducting the whole feast. But he stood up from his place. He laid aside his garments. He put on the clothes of a servant. And in humility began to wash the feet of his disciples. Amen. Jesus exemplified complete humility, both in what He was doing then and also about what He was about to do at Calvary. 
Let's look at this conversation on cleansing in verses 6 through 11 as we continue reading on. Now we see that Jesus made his way from disciple to disciple and finally came to, to Peter. And I want you to look at Peter's reaction in verse 6. It says, Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And there's something here. We really need to give emphasis to the words you and my in this verse. And, and basically what he's saying is, are you the Lord washing my feet? Jesus, you shouldn't be doing this. You're degrading yourself. Now, no one else has said anything, but Peter couldn't allow this to go on. Jesus, you are not washing my feet. And look at more of the discussion in verse 7. It says, Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do now, you don't understand. But you shall know hereafter. Peter said to him, You will never wash my feet. Jesus said to him, Look at this. He said, If I wash, if I wash let me put it in different words. If I don't wash your feet, you have no part with me. Verse 9, Simon Peter said to him, All right, Lord, then don't wash my feet only. Wash my hands, my head. Let's go ahead and we'll do the whole thing. And then Jesus took us back to spiritual things. Verse 10, Jesus said, He that is washed needs not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. And you are clean, but not all. Now, let me put that in English. He said, A person who is been fully washed a person who has been bathed does not need to wash anything except his feet he said because he is clean everywhere he says and you are clean but not all now obviously Jesus is drawing from a physical custom to bring out a spiritual meaning and there are two words here that we need to consider he says first of all if you're looking in the King James Version it used the same word it says washed and then it says washed again in just the next phrase. It says he that is washed. And the first time he says that here in verse 10, uh, the word washed there literally means to bathe, to wash the entire body. And so he says the one who has been completely washed, the one who has took a bath, doesn't need to do anything except wash his feet. And that next wash, the next word wash means just to wash a part of the body. It's not a full cleansing, it's just... Like when you get your hands dirty, you wash your hands. Or, you know, you get your face dirty, you wash your face. And he says uh, the, the person who has been completely cleaned, you know, he only needs to wash his feet or only needs to clean whatever has gotten dirty afterwards. Now, let's put it a different way. He says he who has, took a bath, has, has taken a bath only needs to wash his feet because he is clean everywhere else. Now, obviously, you don't take an entire bath Every time you get your face, hands, or feet dirty, although I have some children that may uh, go against that, uh, that practice, but uh, you know, you usually don't take a bath every time you get your face, hands, or feet dirty. Why? Because you're clean. You're clean everywhere else. You only need to wash up. You only need to wash what has gotten dirty afterwards. And there's a spiritual meaning to what Jesus was saying. Listen, Peter said, don't wash my feet. He said, Jesus, you are not doing this. And Jesus said, if I don't, then you have no part with me. Peter said, okay, well then don't just wash my feet, then wash me all over. But I want you to understand here, there's a biblical connection between being cleansed of dirt and being forgiven of sin. And as if Jesus was saying, Peter, you've been bathed, you've been cleaned, 
In other words, you're saved, Peter. I've already cleansed you of your sin. But in order to remain fellowship with me, you need to wash up daily. Amen. There needs to be a daily cleansing. Listen, many of us are saved. Some of you have been saved for a long time. Some of you may have only been saved for a little while. But I'm going to tell you the truth. If you haven't figured this out yet, even though you're saved, and listen, the part of you that's saved is your spirit. And that, by the way, can't sin again. It is completely clean. It's sealed by the Holy Spirit. That part is cleansed. It can't get dirty. But listen, you still have to live in this body. And your mind is going to think some things that it shouldn't be thinking. And your mouth is going to say some things that it shouldn't be saying. And your body is going to do some things that it shouldn't be doing. And when that happens, it doesn't mean that you've lost your salvation. It doesn't mean you need to be saved again. I think that's the principle that Jesus is saying here. He who has been washed, he who has been bathed or or completely cleansed does not need to do that again. But there are times when you're going to get your hands dirty. That's right. Amen. And when that happens, then you, you need to take that to God. You need to confess that. You need to get that cleansed as soon as possible. Because what it does do, even though it won't make you lose your salvation, it can't. Because you didn't get your salvation by good works, you can't lose it by bad works. What it does do is it puts distance between you and God as far as, as, far as closeness and fellowship is concerned. I love what John, the same one who wrote this gospel, by the way, and you hear me quote this verse quite a bit because, well, I have to use it quite a bit. First John chapter 1 and verse 9 says that if we confess our sins, that He is faithful and just to forgive our sins. Then that next phrase says, and to do what? To cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You're going to mess up. You're going to sin. You're going to think and say and do things that you know you shouldn't. But the great thing about this is is that John tells us, Jesus tells us here, John says it later in the book of 1 John, but he tells us that when we do, that there is forgiveness, that there is cleansing. But guess who you have to go to for that? You've got to go to Jesus, right? Now let's go back to the scene where Jesus has humbled himself. Jesus has taken a towel and he's washing the feet of Peter. And Peter says, you're not washing my feet. In other words, I'll wash my own feet. I'll keep myself clean, Jesus. You, you do something else. And Jesus says, if I don't, then you have no part with me. I think there was a deeper significance to what Jesus was saying and doing. Yes, Peter could wash his own feet, but Peter couldn't forgive his own sins. And if Peter was going to stay clean and stay connected with God and abiding in Jesus, then he would have to go to him for forgiveness and cleansing. And I think that's the, the picture that Jesus was drawing here. Listen, you're going to mess up too. But it's good to know that you can go, you can find forgiveness in Christ. Peter and the other disciples may not have understood all this at the time, but Jesus said in verse 7, if you look there where he says, what to do now, you don't understand, you don't know. But you will hereafter. 
And I think John got that picture, and uh, he wrote about it over in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. The last thing I want us to look at is his lesson on servitude in verses 12 through 17. Now, after Jesus was finished, he put his regular clothes back on and sat down with them again. He asked them a question. If you look at verse 12, it says, So after he had washed their feet and, and taken his garments and put his, his clothes back on, he was set down again and he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? In other words, I, I imagine that all their eyes were about this big, you know. And he sits down, and I, I bet they're all just kind of like, what's, you know, what's going on? And so Jesus sits that back down in his place. He's, he asks them, do you understand what I did? Do you know what's going on? Do you get it? And I think we can safely say that they didn't at the time. Jesus knew that this had been uncomfortable for them. And he says in verse 13, he says, you call me master and Lord, and you say, well, for I am. We can't even imagine the shame and the guilt that would have caused some of them to have their teacher serve them in such a way. And Jesus drew from that and He said in verses 14, He says, If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, you ought also to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Verse 16, He says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, The servant is not greater than his Lord, neither is he that sent greater than he that sent him. The point is this. That if Jesus who was not their equal. And Jesus even says here, I am your Lord and I am your master. We're not on the same level. But he says, if I whom your Lord and master could abase myself to such a low state of servitude for you. He says, then you can do the same for one another. Amen, brother. Amen. If he could serve them, they could serve each other. Amen. If he could forgive them, then they could forgive one another. Look at verse 17. He says, If you know these things, happy or blessed are you if you do them. Listen, I want to say here this morning that in this church, there is only one Lord and Master. It's not you, by the way. It's not me. But there is one Lord and Master. His name is Jesus. Jesus, our Creator and Savior, took off His kingly garments. He took on the form of a servant. He performed the greatest act of love and service imaginable when He went to the cross for you. And Jesus will later say, that there's no greater sign of love or evidence of love than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. If he could die for you, we can die to self. We can serve one, we can serve one another. And while we may not be expected to physically wash one another's feet, if you stoop down at a dinner and try to wash my feet, we're probably going to have problems. And you probably won't remain there long after you take my shoe off. <laughs> While we're not expected to do that, I don't think, for one another, we are expected to have an attitude of service to one another. Not one of us lords over the other. Not one of you is better than another.
service is at the heart of Christian living. And, and Jesus really sums all, all that up in verse 17 where He says, if you know this and you do it, you'll be blessed. 